I think law is a great way to meet, make change. I felt that to create the most impact because we live in, you know, a capitalist society and everything, um, you know, like business is like the way to go. So it kind of made me think about my own challenges and experiences. I read the statistic by the Drexel uh, study that like 85% of autistic college graduates were unemployed or underemployed, which, you know, that was like wild to me, you know, because I, you know, I'm an autistic college graduate. Welcome to the Autistic Advantage podcast, where we discuss the remarkable abilities of brains built with these unique neurological traits. I'm your host, Olivia Fox, and in today's episode, we're chatting with Edwin Portugal, Wharton MBA student, National Guard veteran, and former policy professional. Edwin, thank you so much for coming on the program. You have a fascinating story. I know that you come from an immigrant family in a small town in New York. And do I understand correctly that your dad arriving in America becomes the mayor of the town? Yeah, so uh, my dad, uh, he moved with his family to San Francisco when he was 15. So he grew up in the U.S., basically. Where did he come from? Uh, the Philippines. Both of my parents were from the Philippines. My mom came a little later uh, to go to grad school. And ultimately, they ended up in a small town in northern New York called Rasses Point. It's where I was. Uh, I wasn't born there because there, uh, the hospital is not there. But I was born in the town with the hospital. Uh, and I was raised in Rasses Point uh, my entire life and or most of my, my, my entire childhood. Sorry, because I left after... What I love here is that we're already seeing the autistic need for accuracy. We're like, no, hang on. I think I may not be entirely accurate. Let me go back and yeah. make sure everything I say is right on point. So you grew up in a small town. Yeah, yeah. And, and my dad, uh, before I was born, he actually uh, was a mayor. He was elected mayor of my town, 2,000 people. Um, you know, he just kind of integrate himself, like in the community, like when they first moved there, they're about like, younger than I am now. I think they're in their like early 20s, mid 20s, maybe like 24, 25. And my dad, um, you know, he started getting involved like in the, you know, youth programs and stuff, managing those, you know, like the summer swimming lessons and all different kinds of stuff for kids in my town. And then ultimately he decided to run for mayor and he was elected mayor of my town. Um, I think he was, he was in his 20s. I think he was younger wow. than me than I am now. Uh, I'm 28 and I think, I think it was like 27. So he served as mayor of my town for like, I'm not sure, like four, two terms, but, uh, like, I, I guess I was four years maybe. Um, so that's how I got interested in public policy, just from hearing the, those stories from my dad about being the mayor and, uh, you know, the importance of, you know, contributing to your community, uh, and to society more broadly and, yeah, so I decided, you know, I'm interested in public policy from a young age, and I decided to study policy in, in college uh, at Brown. So I majored in public policy and also Slavic studies, because that's another thing I was very uh, interested in is the former Soviet Union, uh, because my dad, after he was mayor, he decided to uh, go into academia. Hang on. Your dad is 27 or 8. He's already been mayor, mayor, so no pressure, right? And then he decides to go to academia. What did he do? Um, yeah, so he, he got his PhD rather late in life. He, he got it in, like, it went in, in his 30s. And, and, you know, nowadays you can't, like, 
really, I mean, you can get your PhD whenever, but it's very difficult now, but he started teaching at a state university near where I grew up in, in 90, 93, 94, uh, before a year or two before I was born. And uh, as one of his, during his, you know, his work as a professor, he uh, went to Ukraine to teach there as a, I think it was a Fulbright or, or something similar to that. They had a partnership with this university in Ukraine and uh, the Ukrainian professors also came to my hometown. Uh, and, you know, I got very interested in, in Ukraine and the, the more broadly like the former Soviet Union from that point. Uh, I was about 10 years old then. And I, you know, so that's what brought me to study Slavic studies as my second major at Brown. Can we just on a touch for a and, moment on when you were um, a kid, I understand that you occasionally had slight behavioral issues, which can be fairly common with autistic kids. Would you tell the story yeah. of um, when the teacher said that if you didn't read something, you'd have to go to the principal and you took it literally. So you went to see the principal. Yeah. So, you know, growing up uh, in the early 2000s in a small town, especially um, one, we didn't really have a lot of the resources that they, you might find in, in larger metropolitan areas. Uh, and also I was like, not to brag, but I was pretty good in school. Uh, so, you know, back then they didn't really detect it unless, you know, you, you kind of had academic difficulties. Uh, but, you know, I did have some of what, you know, some people would call like behavioral issues throughout uh, my childhood. Um, one, like, you know, I got in trouble a lot in school, but then, you know, just because, just because of like people knew who like my family was and like, uh, everything it's like oh yeah like whatever and also i was good at school so it was kind of a nothing burger i guess they didn't really care that much because they're like yeah he's a good kid i guess he's just kind of acting up a little bit so um one example and when i like reflected upon getting my diagnosis when i was 25 uh one example that comes out to me is that one time we were reading in class and i think it was first grade and, uh, you know, you have to do like, everyone takes turn reading a story, but for me, I thought the story was kind of easy. Uh, and I was like, I, I want a harder story. This is too easy. This is stupid. And the teacher said, if you don't read it, like, this is what we're doing in class and you don't read it, you have to go to the principal's office. So, you know, I, um, you know, as one trait of autism is like you, it, uh, it's harder to differentiate figurative and, and literal language right so I was like okay I just like went up and I like went to the principal's office and then I was like yeah like she told me to go to the principal's office and yeah that was just one one example I think of a poignant memory so when I look at your background you've had some pretty fascinating experiences um, such as going to Kazakhstan how old were you when you headed out there uh, yeah, so I studied abroad in Kazakhstan my last semester of college uh, because, you know, I studied Russian, but I never had studied abroad. And I, I wanted, you know, I would have liked to study in, in Russia. It would have been nice. It would be interesting to study abroad in Russia, especially like St. Petersburg, because of, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, there's a lot of like the Bronze Horseman, the poem, you know, there's like... Uh, you know, it's, it's just like St. Petersburg is like really featured in Russian literature 
and like Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky, like all the all the novels well, is all like centered around everyone. St. Petersburg because it's kind of the the cultural center of Russia, so to speak. But you know, I served in the national. I was actively in the National Guard at the time, um, so they are advised. They they actually don't ban American service members to go to Russia, but um, you know, you have to apply for a visa. And my professors were like, "Yeah, you probably can't go to Russia, and probably the military wouldn't want you to go to Russia anyway." Uh, so there's a study abroad program in Kazakhstan. And, you know, I was excited to go to Kazakhstan as well because, you know, it feels like it's a place not many people go. Uh, so that was uh, fall 2017, my last semester of college. I graduated in December 2017. Um, so I, I had to take some time off uh, for, for some military training. So I, I, I did an extra semester than most of my friends. This podcast is all about the advantages that come with being autistic and there's so many preconceptions as to how that will hold you back and there are a lot of people are saying that you should hide it i know that some people told you not to mention that you had received an autism diagnosis when you were applying to wharton but you made the choice to have it be your very first sentence in the admissions essay for your wharton mba yeah yeah i you know i just think that for me at least it, I want to embrace like being open and like being able to talk about it. Cause I felt like if I, I was doing a disservice, not to myself, but to other people as well by like one hiding who I am, but also trying to perpetuate like, Oh, you should be afraid to like talk about, you know, being a uh, neurodivergent or having a disability or, you know, other types of uh, things that could be seen as vulnerable. And uh, so, you know, I, I framed like when they, the essay you have to write, is like, why would you want to go to war and, or why do you want to go to business school and what's your goals? So I think first you have to talk, I think I have to talk about why I decided to go to business school in general, which is what the essay is about. So I was first diagnosed when I was 25 years old. Uh, that came about because at the time I, I, you know, I worked in public policy and I was thinking about like, what is the next steps in my career, especially given that policy is very DC centric. And I didn't want to continue. I didn't want to live in DC my entire life. Um, I wanted kind of to go closer to home. Um, and there, you know, there's not that many policy jobs in. Well, there's not that many jobs in upstate New York in general, but uh, there are not that many policy jobs outside of DC. And you know, I was like, oh, maybe I'll go. Like, Boston's fairly close to home. Um, but so I was like, well. You know, if you go to, if you're in policy, you know, you work in Congress or you work at a trade association like I did, um, and you want to like want to have more options in your career, it's like uh, I guess I go. I guess it's time to like yeah. apply to law school. <laughs> if you don't know what like to do, go to law step, school, you know? right? Exactly. Uh, so I was like, you know, studying for the LSAT at the time, and I was having a lot of difficulty. It was also uh, during COVID, like working remotely. I was also having difficulty like getting stuff done at work. Um, but you know, I was having a lot of difficulty, uh, studying for the LSAT and just in general working from home, uh, which I, I did do for quite a while after, uh, not of my own choice really, because it, for me, it's diff I need to like really have very seg segregated like areas, uh, to, in which to like concentrate, I guess that's more of an ADHD type thing. So 
uh, at the time, you know, I was like having a lot of difficulty sitting for the LSAT and then my therapist suggested doing an ADHD assessment. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do this assessment. But, and then the first, I think we did a few tests. So when you do ADHD, it's basically you take an IQ test and the, after doing the first couple tests, the diagnostician therapist was like, I think you should kind of pivot towards another type of assessments. He was like, yeah, I think you, you know, you kind of have a lot of the traits about like being on the autism spectrum. He's like, I don't know how much you know about it. I'm like, I've heard a little bit. Um, it's like, you know, I, when I walked in, I was like, I didn't really, well, I was also in a rush. So I don't like say hi to him. I'm just like, oh, where's the phone charger? Cause my phone was like dying. I'm like, oh, I need this phone charger. And then, um, I was like, I don't know, stimming a lot. Uh, and then I was like really fixated. I'm, I'm like, I don't know. I'm like super fixated on like com being competitive. I always like to like, when I was like, I, I need like this IQ test. I want to get like a 140 or something. Um, I didn't get that high, but I got pretty high, um, not to brag too much. Um, but I was like, and he was like, yeah, I think, you know, you should do these kind of tests as well. Uh, and so I did these like questionnaires and, and, you know, you have a behavioral interview. And uh, after that, like, I think, you know, it took some time to process the data, obviously. And then he's like, yeah, I think, uh, you know, you, this is like my report. You, you are on diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder level one. Uh, he's like, you know, it used to be called Asperger's until they changed it. I'm like, actually, I, I, I actually had known about the change um, because I, I don't know. I'm, I've, I'm, int I'm interested in a lot of stuff. And um, I, I, I had learned about like DSM-5 and some of the changes. So I'm like, okay, well that, and then I'm like, okay, I'm like, I'm like, learn about this. I know about like ASD level one. And then, um, you know, really, I was, it's not like, a you know, some people are like, oh, were you shocked or like, oh, no, like. And I'm like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. But also like gave me a lot of, it like really made me think about my own experiences in the past and, you know, some of the challenges I faced, uh, for example, like why, you know, in college, like why it was so difficult for me. And, and like, I, you know, especially like some aspects of it, like the social stuff was kind of difficult in high school too. And like, I had to, I learned, like, I felt like I had to learn things that other people just kind of like got you know uh like how to talk to people i had to like i, I watched some videos like how whenever to people to ask me why i wrote the book on charisma i tell them i didn't have a choice either when i was 18 either i figured out this whole human thing or i exiled myself to desert island it was one or the other this is desperation yeah so it kind of made me think about my own challenges and experiences and then i was like trying to connect with people and then i saw on linkedin i like you know social media i use social media a lot especially um, I'm like terminally online. I started like going in, diving into like the neurodiversity community on LinkedIn, which is super, you know, super vibrant. And you know, that's how I, that's how I became acquainted with you, Olivia. And you know, it's a great, it was like such a great place. And especially, uh, you know, as a young professional, um, and seeing like other people who, you know, my age, older, you know, some people who were diagnosed as kids, but they never told anyone because they're afraid. And now it's like, now I'm like open about it. And, you know, I felt like in, in, in that around the time I was diagnosed in 2021, there was a lot of people, a lot of activity or maybe uh, on LinkedIn, like people being more open about stuff. And I think um, in general, I think, uh, you know, people 
after COVID, like during and after COVID kind of became more open about um, like challenges they faced. Uh, so, you know, I was diving in and I learned more about, you know, the wider challenges facing uh, the autistic community. I, I joined the board of a nonprofit for like autistic adults. Uh, I got really involved. And then over that time, I realized like, you know, I have a lot of like ability, like ability to like pace out my career. I'm like, what do I really want to do? Like, I, I felt like, especially the thing I, I that made me want to switch from law to, biz, uh, to business was I read the statistic by I think it was the Drexel, uh, which is based in Philly, where I'm at now, by the way, the Drexel uh, study that like 85% of autistic college graduates uh, yeah. were unemployed or underemployed, which, you know, yeah. that was like wild to me. Um, you know, because I, you know, I'm an autistic college graduate and like, okay, the numbers are definitely worse for non-college graduates, you know, and, and just non people who are not diagnosed, uh, who, you know, because they weren't diagnosed, they, you know, and I learned about like, you know, the whole like services cliff and all this stuff, all this information. I'm like, I think I have, you know, I have this background, I have this experiences, I like professional experiences, personal experiences. I think I could, you know. I think I should dedicate myself to like making change, positive change, uh, or positive impact. Sorry, this is actually a thing I said in my uh, interview at Wharton. Positive impact, because there's a, I thought that because I was thinking about law school. I think law is a great way to meet, make change. You know, you can make you know the ADA. You know, was like super important, and you know different types of you know policies towards um, you know vocational rehab. For example, for you know people with disabilities, um, that's great. That does make a lot of change. But like to create the most impact, I think I felt like you had to have. Um, I think that I, I felt that to create the most impact because we live in you know a capitalist society and everything. Um, you know, like business is like the way to go. I started getting connected with you know different um, you know neurodiverse founders or people who. Uh, may or may not be neurodivergent who who run companies um that help you know auto, like that like work towards creating this change and i was like i think i could do this too that was like literally the reason why i wanted to go to business school i'm like why am i gonna hide and like why am i like oh like you know like people said not to do it on reddit because they're like they don't understand like oh they'll negatively judge you i'm like yeah maybe i did get negatively judged or maybe you know there's you can never tell right um but i'm like i want to you know be open about like why I want to go to business school and who I am. And um, that's why, you know, I'm like, this is, I'm, I'm autistic. And this is the stats about the, uh, um, I think my essay started like, I'm autistic and I want to help other people in the neurodiverse community uh, because of this. And like, this is my experiences and this is what I want to do in the future. I want to like run social enterprises whether creating my own or like joining something and being like a business guy uh, in a, in a, you know, the founders, you know, have a lot of passion, but like, I'm yeah. like, they don't have the business skills. And I'm, like, I'm the guy to bring the business skills. And this is why I want to go to Wharton or I want to go to business school and, um, and why in the, in Wharton specifically. So can you tell me about some of those, uh, those plans? Like once you finish Wharton, what kind of business are you looking at? How can we help? One of the things that drives me nuts is, as you said, 85% of autistic college graduates are unemployed or underemployed. And a lot of that is because the interview process doesn't work well for them, but also because of all the preconceptions that employers mm -hmm. have. 
So tell me some of your ideas for changing that situation. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's already a lot of great, amazing companies out there that are trying to address that. Um, you know, Mentra is a you know great startup that I've talked to and they do a lot of, uh, they're like a job hire, like a hiring, they use AI to like match people and stuff. They're great. Uh, you know, there's CAI who actually in my, um, when I was working at the American Financial Services Association, we partnered with CAI. They're a tech firm and they, you know, have this uh, hiring process that focuses more on, you know, your abilities to do the job rather than your ability to talk to somebody. Yeah, it's the difference between being able to do the job and being able to do the interview. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there are, you know, there are so many other like large companies like Goldman Sachs, they have these programs, you know, there's a lot of groundwork being made. Um, and I'm just trying to trying to figure out like where, what gaps are there and, and, and if there are gaps and like hiring uh, neurodivergent disabled or disabled people more broadly, um, or, you know, what other gaps exist out there. Like, I, I think that's what's the beauty of being in an MBA program that you can have this time to really think about your own career goals and, and um, explore different industries and companies. Thanks. I'm going to follow up actually with a couple of them because now I'm thinking that I should, um, I should contact some of the leaders of the programs inside Goldman, EY, et cetera, et cetera, and see if they've got people from inside those companies who could come on this podcast and talk about, because one of the conceptions that we need to change is that you absolutely can, I mean, this is the point of this podcast, is that it is absolutely possible to succeed as an autistic person in their neurotypical world. It's not necessarily easy, but it is absolutely doable. And as you know, one of the hot topics right now is ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis. Um, and so ABA is being very much pushed by a lot of companies, especially those owned by private equity uh, funds, as this is the only way your kid is going to survive in a neurotypical world. Uh, so that's, that's great to, to hear more about these programs. So, all right. So tell me about your experience being at Wharton. What's it like during your MBA? How's your time on campus felt? And how does your autism play into that? Yeah. So I've actually, you know, it's only six weeks, so I don't know definitively, but you know, I have been fairly open uh, about being autistic. I've actually, I think yesterday, two days ago, we had this um, storytelling workshop and, and, you know, people who shared a personal story and a professional story, cause it was like how to be a better storyteller because interviewing is all about storytelling. Um, and I shared my personal story with a group. There was about like 30 people there. Um, and you know, I'm not shy about that, but that was most recently. The first time I did it actually was the first. So when you go to war and you take a five day, like leadership and teamwork intensive class. It's like nine to five all day long class. Um, and that's your first, and you just take that class. Uh, it's like part of your like orientation and the professor for, for me, for that class oh, was yeah. Adam Grant, awesome. uh, who is a yeah best-selling oh, author. Really nice um, he's like a celebrity professor. He wrote like nod, uh, or he wrote thinking, think again, I think was, was one of the ones. And I was in that class with Adam and he was talking about um, like empathy and like 
micro expressions and how that's and then I like raised a question. I was like, well, like, and you know, a lot of that Wharton is just like building, learning from your own personal experience. So I was like, well, like, I feel that, you know, we talk about like empathy and like being emotional, like, be like having like emotional like leadership and emotional intelligence. I'm like, that doesn't really, you know go with everybody for example if you're a woman and you're like trying to be you have to act in a different way as a man because if you're like a more serious like a certain leader you're like you're going to be called like a bitch you know um like that's his reality and then for me i was like well you know like there are you know if you're on the, i'm on the autism spectrum and this was like you know the second week of class or and i'm like i'm on the autism spectrum and you know for me it's like people have even at wharton i've mentioned like yeah they without knowing that they're like yeah like i didn't think you liked me because i like don't make the expressions the way that is expected i guess of indicating that you are friendly with someone for example and um yeah so i just said my own experience and then um he asked like oh how like and you know i talked about like my own experiences at work and you know i was just open about it and then afterwards uh you know he talk to me and he's like, you know, thank you for, you know, saying that, like, you know, we really strive to, like, you know, I really strive to like make people feel like they're open about their being authentic. And I felt that you being and saying that just, you know, just me trying to help, but like, you know, you had to have people there to, um, and, you know, I felt that he, he thought that I helped make people more, feel more psychologically safe. And other people have mentioned like, oh, you know, after I said that, you know, some of people are like, oh yeah, like I, didn't know that. And now that I know that, you know, I know that's not like you, it's not like you dislike me, for example. It's just like, it's because you don't like, don't I don't know, the make the ex- micro expression. Yeah. No, like, yeah, I'm like, I'm not like always, um, you know, I'm not, I don't seem like, I, it, uh, well, yeah, because uh, I, I don't seem like I'm like paying attention when I talk to people. Well, because I, I, I honestly, I, because I, because um, like for me, the way I process like information to talk to people, I'm not just like looking at them. I'm like looking at other people, like trying to like read and like process this information. Uh, and I think it was on your podcast with um, yes. uh, Ennis. Uh, he mentioned like, you know, it's like a, like writing the code. Like yeah. for us, uh, neurodivergent in autistics, we have to like write the code and press enter. But other people, they're like already processing the code. They're like AI you know generative ai like they're automatically doing it but we have to like manually code it um so i have to like do that so i'm not yeah i'm like yeah i'm actually like not like look like paying 100 percent full attention the way that other people would because i have to take up all this information and like absorb it at the same time one of the things that i realized only recently after learning that i had been diagnosed as a kid is that my face kind of split into two halves uh, when i was put into normal school around age seven and the right side of my face is the one that learned all the facial expressions. And so I realized that I have all these unilateral facial expressions that are learned and that I use in conversation. But if I try to do them with the left side of my face, left side of my face is like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And so it was really fascinating to see how much of interpersonal communication is something that was A, learned the hard way, but B, that is absolutely not intrinsic. Um, when you're in an MBA program, a lot of your success is based on participation, is based on things that are easier for neurotypical people. 
are do you use any strategies or what do you think you're going to be doing to work around the expectations yeah so with class participation like i feel like a lot of times i i, I like to freestyle stuff like i freestyle interviews sometimes i freestyle i'm freestyling this interview by the way and it like comes up as like a little disjointed where they might want more polish so I, i'm trying to make a more effort to like write down like yeah. points I would bring up in class based upon like readings, for example, instead of just like, just going off of just like shooting at the hip, because um, I think that the way I speak, or not the way I speak, but like the way like my thought process goes by speaking, because I'm like making it up on the fly. And, and like, it's, you know, it's the double empathy gap is like double understanding gap too. not just the empathy part, but like the understanding part, like, I know, like, my thought process, and you know, you probably if you were in my class, you probably understand my thought process, but I feel like other people don't. So I need to like structure it, um, which, you know, will take time. Um, I'm trying to learn more, like, I guess, uh, you know, I didn't really as poignantly like the expression, facial expressions part. So I feel like I'm going to have to um, study on facial expressions. Because, um, you know, like when you re learn a language, so I learned Russian in college, and it's a lot easier to like read and for me to read and listen to a language and process a language and to produce it. Um, so I'm just going to have to practice more about producing the facial expressions. When we talk about so. the advantages that having autistic mind uh, gives one in the neurotypical world, I know that one of mine is pattern recognition and it's, it's almost a trope for autistic people. And in my real job, in my work with executives, to me, there's so often patterns that are just bloody obvious and that are instantly apparent. Whereas for them, because they're looking at a different set of information, which I often miss, um, they don't spot some of those patterns. Do you see any of the autistic style of thinking coming out as advantages? Yeah, uh, I think one thing for me is that because I had to learn, it's it, because I had to learn like the social interactions. I kind of view it like, I kind of like game. It's like a game to me almost. Like, I get a lot of satisfaction, and um, I like to be social because um, I guess I have a high social battery. Or because I view it as like an entertaining situation that. I, you know, especially in the MBA, like I, you know, just like to go and like meet people and try to remember like, oh, like, do I remember this person trying to like become better and at the game? There's this uh, preconception that people have of autistics being antisocial. And here's you saying, first of all, I'm in an MBA program. And second, I love the social aspect of it. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, everyone's different. Um, I, I think one other thing for me is special interest because I get like really into certain kind of almost niche topics, but that kind of like drives me, you know, and I guess neurodiversity is almost like a special interest to me now because it's like if, if you're being driven by external factors like money, for example, you know, that that's definitely very helpful. But like, I think that for me, it's like I'm driven in like, like a different level because of just I'm like, oh, like I like really into it so much and that's why i'm like oh i'm like really into like russian like former soviet union stuff and i'm just like oh yeah it's kind of like like yeah it's kind of weirdly how um 
into it he is, I guess people say, or like, I like, you know, memorize like Russian rap songs so I can rap in Russian. Um, but I don't know. I just like, I'm really passionate about certain things and I think it helps drive me. And sometimes those can have some interesting overlaps. I know that I, I often find myself using beekeeping analogies with my clients uh, and the being deep in beekeeping can actually really help understand hive behaviors. And I know that one of the things that that has been wonderful for me on LinkedIn is discovering just how active the neurodivergent community in general, the autistic community in particular, is on LinkedIn. Where have you found your strongest autistic community? So at Wharton, I don't, there's not really much of a autistic community, but there is a, a growing disability community at Wharton. There's a new club called the Disability Empowerment and Action League that started in last spring. So before I started by, by current second years, and I'm really excited to, uh, you know, I'm in that club and I'm really excited to help them help the club grow and kind of bring a more broader awareness of disability in general. And for me specifically about autism in general, being at like a, such a well-known business school, I think we could position ourselves as thought leaders or vanguards in that space. And I think, you know, just having the resources at a place like Wharton is something that I feel we can leverage in a, in a way that will really make a lot of impact. Awesome and beautiful. Thank you so much, Edwin. If there are other uh, autistic students at Wharton who are hearing this, uh, I hope that they will contact us and contact you and that will grow the community. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I wish you the very best for your next two years. Is it two years? Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Edwin. Yeah. Have a good one. Yeah, we'll have a good soon. one. Edwin, thank you so much for giving us your time and sharing your experience. You can learn more about Edwin Portugal by following him on LinkedIn. And remember to follow TAP on Instagram and LinkedIn for new episodes. That's it from the Autistic Advantage podcast. Our team includes production director Harvey Range, audio editor Brandon Williams, community director Ben Van Hook, creative director Kaya Williams, and I'm your host, Olivia Fox. See you next time when we chat neuroscience with Wesley Wade of NC State University.